Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. Now, you guys are probably used to Pastor Alex up here with walking around and doing his thing all by memory, but I'm not there yet, so I brought my sermon on paper. Uh, Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, it's that time of year again. The time that you're going to start seeing videos posted on Facebook and on news feeds and news websites of celebrities giving commencement speeches. Politicians, comedians, movie directors, actors, basically anybody who we have deemed as successful will be giving a speech about how others can obtain that same success. And this sermon is no different. I'm going to tell you the secret to being successful like me. Now, some of you might be laughing to yourself while others laughed right at my face just now. (laughs) Because by monetary standards, I am nowhere near the level of uh, success as those other professions that I already named, or really a majority of any profession ever. So I don't know if you know this, but youth director slash pastor isn't very lucrative. But I digress. My secret is very simple. And it has to do with God's calling on your life. For the majority of my life, I was told that God had a plan for me and that my job was to figure that plan out and then follow it. Now, I don't know about you, but that feels like a lot of pressure to me. When I first heard this, I started having mild freakouts. I would, I would ask, what if I'm screwing up God's plan? What if I was supposed to have cereal this morning instead of Pop-Tarts? As I grew older, these worries grew with me, and they left the Pop-Tarts in the dust. What if I'm not going to the right college? What if I'm not choosing the right career? What if I'm not dating the right person? What if, what if, what if? These were legitimate fears I was having, and it didn't help when I read the book of Jeremiah in the Bible either. Because it would reinforce my fears, I read, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. I know that you know the plans you have for me, God, but the issue is I need to know those plans. Luckily, when I went to seminary, I read a theologian named Frederick Beekner, and his words helped to relieve my worries And they also helped me form a new idea about God's plan or God's calling on a life. Beekner said, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Simple enough, right? No specific cereal that I need to eat. No school that I was supposed to go to over God's planned school for me. Just something in me in harmony with the rest of creation. Perfectly simple, right? Great, amen, sermon over. See you guys later. That is the extent of the uh, walking I'll be doing during the sermon. 
I'm being told I should probably explain that a little bit more. I think that Beekner was incredibly smart by putting the phrase, your deep gladness, first. Because it takes the longest to figure out, and it changes. When I was starting in college, I thought I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. I was good at math and science. Numbers came very easily to me. And so it made sense to be some sort of engineer. Well, after a year of classes, I realized that I hated majoring in mechanical engineering. (laughs) And I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. So I changed my major. And then I changed my major again. And then I changed schools. And then I changed my major again and again. Finally, after six and a half years, I graduated college with a degree in psychology and still no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I thought that college was the big determiner, the place you go to figure out the rest of your life. It's where an 18 to 22-year-old goes to figure out where, what they're going to be retiring from when they're 65 or 70, right? Makes total sense, right? No? All right. I mean, I guess that I would barely let 18-year-old TC choose what I was having for lunch today, not to mention what I would be doing with my life right now. So if college isn't where you find your career and you fine-tune it and you major in it and you get a degree in it, what is it for? Well, in my humble opinion, what I should have been doing in college, what I hope you all do in college is explore. College is a unique opportunity for young adults to explore different aspects of the world, from psychology to engineering, from theater to math, teaching, astronomy, music, literature, even racquetball. The list goes on and on. It's like taking a world of knowledge and experiences and making them small sample sizes that you can test out. You know how when you go to Costco or Meyer and they have those sample days? I know the kids know what I'm talking about in here. (laughs) And they have like a cup of something or a bite or two or something. If you like it, you can get the whole package. Or you can beg your parents to get the whole package. I didn't know that this was what I was doing when I was changing majors and schools and majors again. But I was exploring. I was looking for a spark of interest looking for where my deep gladness was. And surprisingly enough, it wasn't in college. You see, we think that college is the end-all, be-all of figuring out what we're going to do and who we're going to be. But not everything is on sample in the store. Sometimes you have to explore off on your own to find what you really like. Throughout my college career, I would take classes in the fall, winter, and spring, and then in the summer, I would have a summer job. I was a camp counselor. This was just a way to spend my summers out in the sun, having some fun, and making some money. I never thought that this was where my career or my deep gladness was, and I wasn't the only one. As the years went on, I started getting closer to a degree. I had friends and family who would constantly ask me what I was going to do once I graduated. What were my summer plans? Would I be getting an internship somewhere to get experience in a certain field? And a majority of the time, when I said I would be working at camp again, 
people will respond with things like, when are you going to grow up? Or, when are you going to get a real job? Playing with kids all summer and leading silly songs around a campfire didn't count as a real job. It didn't fit into the mold of a grown-up, and thus it couldn't be where God was calling me. It couldn't be where my path was leading. As humans, we love to categorize things and put things into boxes. We see it all the time, and it can be helpful in most situations. We see a bear in our backyard, and we don't think, well, this bear's probably nice and cuddly. No, our brains say, that bear is dangerous, and we shouldn't go outside. We see sauerkraut, and we don't think, well, this is finally going to be delicious. (laughs) No, we know that sauerkraut is nasty, and thus all of it gets put into the nasty box in our brain. Or maybe that's just me. I guess some of you guys might like sauerkraut. This categorization helps us survive and thrive, but it can also run a bit rampant sometimes. It's how we get racial stereotypes. It's how we get gender stereotypes. It's how we get ageist stereotypes. And it's where we get our ideas about what God's calling on our life could be. We put these things into boxes. Your career is supposed to look like this. Work nine to five, Monday through Friday, dislike your job, live for the weekend, and rinse and repeat. Because if it's not like that, you're not a grown-up yet. If it's not like that, you don't have a real job. But I'm here to tell you that your calling from God is where your deep gladness is. I loved working at camp. I felt more whole there than I have ever felt before. And I don't mean that in a romantic comedy way where it's like there was a piece of my heart missing and camp filled it in for me. (laughs) No, I mean it. I mean it more in that camp allowed me to be my full self. I was allowed to fully express my heart and live into every aspect of who I was. I found deep gladness there. And when you find deep gladness, the kind that doesn't come from a box or a store or a deep dish pizza, even though that makes me very glad, (laughs) but the kind that comes from you finally being able to fully embrace who you are, then some people aren't going to like it because it doesn't fit in the box. People are going to question and make comments. People are going to tell you that you can't or shouldn't or aren't good enough or that the thing isn't good enough or it won't make you enough money or that it's not worth the effort. People will try to extinguish that light in you and put you back into your happy little box, but don't let them. When you follow your deep gladness, people will try to pull you back down, but do it anyway. Follow that gladness anyway. In the words of Mother Teresa, if you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good that you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. 
do good anyway. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. Because we're all made differently. You have characteristics and gifts that no one else has exactly like you. You have passions and desires that no one else has exactly like you. You have hopes and dreams that no one else has exactly like you. And so one type of box isn't enough. We need an infinite number of explanations for people. We need an infinite number of categories for people and an infinite number of boxes. David understood this. In our scripture today, David told the king that he would slay the giant for the Israelites. And so Saul decked him out in all of his armor. Essentially, Saul was saying, this is how you fight a giant. You put your armor on, you get your heavy sword and your heavy shield, and you face him head on. But David took all the armor off and said, this isn't how I can fight. I need to do this my own way. So he walked out in front of the giant with no armor and only a slingshot as a weapon. Saul, Goliath, the Israelites, the Philistines thought David was crazy. They thought, this isn't how you battle. This isn't how you fight. And this definitely isn't how you win. But David did it anyway. He fought Goliath and defeated Goliath his own way. This story speaks to the idea that you have to go your own way. Attack problems in your own unique method. Find how you operate. And when others say that that's not how you do it, you do it anyway. No matter what age you are, what race you are, how old you are, I already said that with age, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, Keep exploring to find your deep gladness in this world. The place that allows you to be fully who you are. The place that makes you feel completely free. Find the place. Run towards that. And when the naysayers say nay, when the haters hate, when others say don't do it, do it anyway. And once you've found it, then what? Well, luckily, Beekner's phrase didn't end there. God's calling is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. You see, Beekner knew that deep gladness alone wasn't enough. If we only sought what gave us gladness with no regard to anything else, well, I at least know that I would be a professional video game player who moonlights as an ice cream taster. It would be delicious. But we have to account for the world's deep hunger, too. We have to say, what does the world need? How can I help? How can this thing that I love make the world better? I feel like this is the area that we forget about the most. We think, what do I love doing? And then when we find it, we say, now how can I make money doing it? And that's the wrong question. We've taken Beekner's idea and replaced helping the world with helping ourselves, helping our pocketbooks, helping our bank accounts. 
As a Christian, the second half of this statement has to be, how does my passion, my dream, my deep gladness help the world? One example of this. I had a friend in college who went into medicine. She worked through a million years of school, or what seemed like a million years to me, and remember, I was in school for six and a half years. (laughs) And finally, she did everything she needed to do to become a full-fledged doctor. At this point, she could have chosen to join a plethora of practices or offices or wherever else doctors work, but instead she decided to join Doctors Without Borders and travel to Africa to help people who didn't have readily available medical care. She passed up a job that would have guaranteed a sizable paycheck to help those who needed her skills the most. Now some might say, wow, what an amazing story. Giving up all the comforts of being a doctor in the United States to go to Africa and help those who don't have. And I would tend to agree, but don't get it twisted. It's not something that she considers a sacrifice or suffering. Remember, her deep gladness is in helping and healing others. Her calling from God is being fulfilled, and that's a feeling that no comfort that we have here can provide. Not TV or air conditioning or Netflix. Yeah, not even Netflix. (laughs) God does not desire you to hurt. God does not desire you to suffer. God does not desire you to do something that drains your life. God wants you to be joyous. God wants you to do something that fills you with life, that fills you with love. God desires you to be prosperous. But don't get that twisted either, because I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel. God does not want you to have a private jet in God's name. This is a fine line that we walk. We cannot have one without the other. We cannot only find the places in the world that need help and decide that if no one else is going to help, I'm going to do it. Because that's how you can easily burn out, do things half-heartedly, and end up hurting more than you're helping. Nor can we only find our deep desires with no regards to anything else. We have to find where the two intermingle. We must find where we are a cheerful giver, where we are a joyous helper, where we serve not because we have to, but because we get to. So your job, graduates, your job, youth and parents, adults and children, anyone who is here right now, your job is simply hard and it's hardly simple. Your job is to find your passion Find the deep parts of your heart that awaken and sing when you're doing something. Find the place that God has put in you that gives you deep gladness, profound joy, and chase it. Continue to follow that path and tune your heart to that calling, and then find out how that place, that space, that talent, that passion can help the world. And remember that along the way, People may say to you that it's not worth it. 
It makes no money. It makes no difference. But you will do it anyway. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.